The first reading is taken from Isaiah, chapter 65, beginning at verse 17. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. And so the second reading is taken from Luke, and we're in chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. The resurrection. That is on page 1061 of the Bible. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Madeline, Joanna, 
Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told us to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you. I can't see you up there. I'm going to have to stand up here, aren't I? We were hoping that I'd be able to stand in the middle. Oh, there's just a few. Hi. Up in the, back, up in the top seats. Uh, and great to see everybody at the back over there. Fantastic. Uh, my name's Neil. This is my first Easter here in Southsea. And before this, I was in Brockenhurst. And there was a very famous Easter sermon preached by the vicar of Brockenhurst one year. He'd been there several years and he stood up on Easter morning and he said, Jesus Christ is risen. I told you this last year and the year before and the year before that. He is risen and he always will be risen. And then he went and sat down. <laughs> it, was, it was the shortest sermon they'd ever had and they still remembered it 50 years on. But I haven't been here that long, so I can't use that sermon this morning. So it's a, it's a slightly longer talk that we have this morning. And I want to start with a story, the story of a little boy who was about seven, who lived in one of the streets off Fratton Road. And one day, when his dad got back from the dockyards, this little boy was brimming with excitement and looked like he was about to burst. His dad was tired, but as they sat down to eat their egg and chips, which was a Thursday night treat, his dad said to him, OK, little one, what's got you so wound up tonight? What do you want to tell me? And the little boy blurted out and he said, Dad, Dad, I saw an elephant, a real live elephant at the end of our street. And his dad said, nonsense. Elephants live in Africa. They don't live in Pompeii. I've never heard of such a thing. You've been reading those Tarzan magazines again, haven't you? What an idiotic idea. Now just shut up and let me eat. And the little boy protested, but Dad, Dad, I did see an elephant. And his dad said, look, son, I've lived here or hereabouts all my life. I've seen cats and dogs and even horses. I've seen a few rats and mice, but I've never seen an elephant and I never will. Now be quiet and let's eat. And a little while later, he went across the road to the pub for a drink. And as he ordered his pint, he said to his friend, you never guess what our Alan came up with tonight. He reckons he saw an elephant at the end of our road. And the barman overheard him, and he pointed to the big poster on the wall. And the poster said, circus in town, starts today. And there was a big elephant balancing on a ball in the middle of the poster. And the barman said, reckon your Alan might have been right. See, things that don't usually happen, sometimes do. And I tell that story because people don't usually come back from the dead, do they? Jesus coming back from the dead, Jesus being raised from the dead, his resurrection was a unique occurrence. Not something that you're likely to see or I'm likely to see. And so the first thing we need to do on Easter morning is think about, is it true? Did this really happen? Can we trust the people who wrote these stories? 
about Jesus being raised from the dead? Well, there were certainly prophets who predicted that something like this might happen. They're the ones who made up the posters, who said that there was a circus, there was a Messiah, and that he might just be coming to town. And then in the weeks and the months before Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, there were lots of things to give evidence that he was the Messiah. There were teachings and healings. There was the commanding of nature, feeding 5,000 people, healing blind and lame and deaf and mute people, people who were paralyzed, even bringing people back from the dead. There was Jesus' amazing teaching, the words from the Sermon on the Mount, and he stilled the storm. He commanded it to be quiet, and it was. This was somebody unique. This was somebody who didn't come around quite so often. So when he arrived in Jerusalem, his disciples made sure everyone knew. They went around telling everyone, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. And the whole city of Jerusalem was in a turmoil, was stirred up by this news that the Messiah was coming. But then there was the arrest. Then there was the cross. Then there was the darkness that looked like defeat. Despairing, dispirited disciples huddled in darkened rooms, hoping that they wouldn't be rounded up to face the same fate as their teacher. And then on the third day, the women went to the tomb. It was the women, note, not the men, who were brave enough to go out, to go and care for Jesus' body. And they were the first witnesses that saw the tomb was empty, that the body was gone and would never be found. There were the earthquakes and the angels and appearances to over 500 people. But for me, the biggest evidence that something happened on that first Easter morning is that a new way of life began. A new way of life started on that Easter morning. It takes a lot of energy to start something new. You need planning and processes, resources and training to start something new, the sort of thing that might grow and expand so that in just a few decades it would stretch across the Roman Empire. You needed something amazing to happen, some energy, some force, to send people out with that news, that good news that the disciples took. Remember, they didn't have any Twitter accounts or Facebook pages. They had no Instagram to share their messages on. They took this story of Jesus with them wherever they went. Something incredible happened on that first Easter morning. The resurrection explains the explosion of the Christian faith across the known world, it makes sense as nothing else does. This year in our church is a year of mission and we have a big sign up there to remind us that it is our year of mission and in this year of mission we're taking up the challenge that we should be telling people about the story of Jesus and our theme verse is about Jesus helping us his servants, to share that story, that word, with great boldness. Not just with boldness, but with great boldness. So we need to be able to share this story about Jesus and what he came to do with one another. And this morning, 
I thought we might learn one way to tell that story, a very simple way to explain the story of Jesus. And it starts with love. It starts with love. The Christian faith is a faith that is founded on love like no other belief system. We hear this again and again in the words of Jesus. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said the greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, this is how people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And this is not the sort of soft, cuddly, pink, fluffy, bunny rabbit on a Valentine sort of love that we sometimes think love is today. This is the tough, hard, never-ending love that held Jesus on the cross for three hours as he died in agony. This is love with power and passion. This is love that triumphs over hatred. And there's a story about the apartheid years from South Africa that demonstrates how this love wins. And it's a story about a time when the white government in South Africa had banned a political rally that was about to take place in Cape Town. And so Bishop Desmond Tutu said, well, they can ban political rallies, but they can't ban church services. So everybody should come into St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town and we'll have a service instead. Well, the police, the riot police, turned up armed with attack dogs. There were people surrounding the building, helicopters flying overhead. And as the people gathered inside the cathedral, as they gathered inside, the police came in the secret police, and they lined the walls of the cathedral to record taping and writing down all the words that were said in this church service. And the atmosphere was very tense, as you can imagine. People didn't know whether they'd be able to get home without being beaten up or attacked. And Desmond Tutu rose to stand at the pulpit, and he pointed to the police along the walls of the cathedral. And these are his words. He said, you may be powerful, indeed very powerful, but you are not God. And the God whom we serve cannot be mocked. You have already lost. And then he came around from the, pu from the pulpit and he stepped out and he softened and he smiled, one of his big beaming smiles. And he said to the police, he said, so as you have already lost, we are glad that you've come to join us now. And we are inviting you to come and join the winning side. We are glad that you are here. And everybody erupted in thanksgiving and praise. And the police all left. They were too embarrassed to stay. Desmond Tutu knew that love was stronger than hatred. He knew that he was on the winning side. He went on to write this prayer. Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. 
Victory is ours through him who loved us. Shall we say amen? Amen. Tutu knew that love was stronger than hatred and that life was stronger than death because he knew this resurrection story. He knew what had happened. He knew that God's power at work in his world can do amazing things, can defeat the powers of darkness. God came into the world to demonstrate his love for us and it's a love that meant that Jesus was ready to die in our place. It's a love that conquered death, the greatest victory that's ever been won. So Jesus' mission starts out in love. But it's a, clear, it's a mission with a clear purpose and a plan. It has to fix all the things that are broken. It has to restore all that's worn out. So this love has a focus. Jesus came to set us free from sin and death. He came to put right all that was wrong in the world. To do that, he had to absorb all that evil, all that hatred, all that wrongness. So that we can say that even if it had been just me, he would have come and died on that cross. Even if it had been for just one person, he would have died for us. He died for us on the cross. This is the amazing truth of Jesus' mission. Without the cross, there would have been no forgiveness. Very early in Mark's story of Jesus' life, there's a part where a paralytic man is lowered into the room. And before Jesus heals this paralytic man, he forgives him. And the people are in awe of what he's doing and the Jewish authorities are really upset that he's doing this in front of them. But Jesus makes forgiveness the priority. He goes on to teach and speak about forgiveness. He sows forgiveness into the prayer that he taught us. Forgive us our sins, just as we forgive those who sin against us. And then on the cross, with almost his last breath, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus knew a truth that we may have lost sight of, that forgiveness sets us free. When we are forgiven, we're released from the guilt and the shame of all that we have done, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And when we forgive others, it's ourselves we set free. We set ourselves free from the bitterness and anger that poison our souls so easily. Jesus' mission was to bring life in abundance. And it's only when we're forgiven that we can be set free. That we can be restored for this life that God wants us to lead. A life of grace and mercy and peace. A life filled with deep joy that only faith and trust in God can bring. And then, on the night before he died, Jesus said to his disciples that we were now to think of ourselves, his disciples, we were to think of ourselves as his friends because he was going to leave a counsellor, a Holy Spirit to be with us. We were made to be in relationship with God, an ongoing relationship that can never be broken. For we were made for a relationship, to be in relationship with others. 
We are made in this universe where constantly colliding atoms form molecules of life in a never-ending dance that defies the chaos that seeks to bring death and destruction. A new, awesome and amazing existence is ready for each one of us if we join in with this life that Jesus came to bring. So Jesus came to show us that love was stronger than hate and life was stronger than death. And this is the life that he offers us this Easter. He is risen and we can be sure of that. And we can explain this good news by just spelling out that life. That life starts with the love that he has for me. That life is the reason that he died on a tree. He died for me. I am the reason he died on a tree. That life is for forgiveness. Forgiveness that sets us all free so that we can enjoy being in his company. So let's return to our original story of that elephant and the circus. Jesus was a person who lived in history, who walked on this earth and lived amongst us. And yet he was quite unlike any other person who ever lived. Those in charge at the time thought that they might bring him into Jerusalem and he might do a few tricks, perform some signs and miracles to entertain the people, to keep them amused. But then they realized he was here to do much more than that. He was here to tear down the temple, to break up their circus, to change everything. He defied them and they put him to a humiliating death, but he could not be chained or contained by the tomb. In God's love, he rose to a new life, bringing forgiveness to all just as he promised and the chance for all who trust and believe in him to have eternal life. I don't know about you, but life can sometimes feel a bit like a circus, having to perform for others, having to meet others' expectations, surrounded by clowns. Well, perhaps in Westminster there might be a few clowns at the moment, but I couldn't possibly say that. Surrounded by clowns or those juggling balls in their life, just trying to keep in balance on a tightrope, or those hanging on to high wires, hanging on by a thread. It feels sometimes like we're living in this circus. But Jesus came to bring a new way of life, to tear down that circus, to set us free. Free to live in a way that allows us to enjoy the abundant life that he promised, knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So don't miss out on this offer of Easter life. This offer is for all of us because Jesus is risen. Brilliant. Amen. So Dom's going to come in with the children and Dom is going to help us to remember that little message of life that Jesus brings because the children are going to lead us in a song that's going to help us to remember that life that Jesus brings. So.